Good morning, church. This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. Anybody else glad in this day? Glad he woke you up. Glad he enabled you to get out here safely. Oh, I'm grateful that we get to gather every single week in this manner uh, to give God glory for what he has done and what he continues to do. And if you don't mind, I'd like to testify a little bit before we get into the word. Uh, we, we like to practice testimony sharing, which is simply sharing the good news for a variety of reasons, one of which, and not the least of which, includes when he's done something for you, you want to share that so that others can see him in what he's done for you. Take the, the woman at the well, for instance, how she ran off and told everybody about what he had said about her, or take those who were healed of any sort of disease. They, something happens in them, it's, it's kind of hard to keep it to themselves. It's also encouraging, hopefully, to hear the good news in somebody else's life, because then perhaps in your own life, you can be encouraged about how God can do the exact same thing. And there are a few testimonies that I want to share, maybe two uh, this morning. One is echoing what Will talked about uh, with regard to our Victory Teens ministry that's kicking off. That's a testimony, both for what he's already done and that there are teens waiting for us to serve them. You can clap whenever you like, because uh, that's a good thing. And it's thanking God in advance for what he is going to do. If you read scripture, uh, there are several examples. One that comes to mind that, that talks about it being better for a person to be thrown into the sea with a big millstone around his or her neck than it would be to cause a young person to stumble. In other words, young people matter to Jesus. And I find in Scripture that they were attracted to him, as well as those who did not know and maybe even mocked Jesus. And I thought, Lord, I think often, Lord, how, how did that flip? Why now is it tough to find teenagers anywhere in church when they were, in fact, coming to you and spending a lot of time with you? So we're praying, and hopefully you're praying with us, to see a difference made toward that end, such that Jesus and church can be cool for teenagers as well, because we believe the difference that they can make is monumental, and it doesn't have to be sort of when you get older and you take over the world. No, it's now God has something for you to say. And so I want to just encourage you with the testimony of what he's already doing, but also to consider not only coming tonight, certainly if you like free pizza, you can come and grab a slice and go. <laughs> we love to feed you, but also to just be prayerful and thoughtful about how God might use you or somebody you know or a teenager that you know to benefit from what we hope and prayerfully will be able to engage. And we are targeting pretty specifically that prospect neighborhood, which by no means uh, uh, suggests that, that folks in my neighborhood or your neighborhood, if you don't live in prospect, cannot come. No, that is not the case at all. But we feel particularly called to that neighborhood and those young men and women to see them one to Jesus, reconciled to him, but then also reconciled to each other. So if you're a parent of a teen, if you're a teen yourself, if you know a teen or know a parent of a teen, please encourage them to come out this evening from 5 to 7, where we'll share a little bit more about what's to come uh, in, that, in that ministry. Amen? Uh, the second testimony, briefly, is that we are connected to a network of churches that both provide support and accountability. Um, and the depth of that statement uh, is hard to articulate, but I'll tell you from my standpoint, that's huge. It's life-giving. Um, our parent church, Grace Covenant Church in Chantilly, with Pastor Brett Fuller is the senior pastor, uh, is the most direct sort of mechanism for our accountability and support. And they, uh, could I say, repeatedly invite us to fellowship with them in the many different conferences and events that they put on. 
And it's great to have that kind of family. Now, you don't hear me talk about it a lot from the stage because it is a lot. And we have a church here (laughs) in Charlottesville. But every now and then there are some things that go on there that I want to mention to you, for you, um, given the season and timing and so forth that I feel appropriate to do so. And they are having a men's conference if that slide can come up, uh, on June 7th and 8th, all the men in the house just say, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to try it again. All the men in the house say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so if you didn't know, he's called you. <laughs> he's called you to be holy. He's called you to, to, to serve as unto the Lord in the spheres of influence that he's called you to serve. And so there's a conference there on June 7th, and they, a good buddy and friend, Pastor Sean Clemens, who is an associate pastor, leads the ministry there, and he has assured me that he is going to get the best cars there for the car show and all the video games uh, 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 you can ask for, uh, for some fun. I guess y'all not interested in that. He said that, that might pull in some guys, but more importantly than that, though, that'll certainly be fun. Uh, there'll be some guest speakers. Pastor Brett will be one. Pastor Chris Johnson from Harrisonburg will be another. Uh, Pastor June, who is the pastor of the Korean-speaking congregation that's a part of Grace, as well as Pastor Victor, who is the pastor of the Spanish-speaking congregation. Uh, One of the few times we get to all come together um, to share in a moment, and this moment will be as men to be built up and to shift, if that shift is necessary, how we identify as a son of our Heavenly Father where our own experiences, perhaps as a son, may not have been the greatest, there may be a shift in your identity of how you relate to a father and then how you might father biologically or not. And so I'm excited about that. I hope you are too and that you'll consider uh, going. Today is the last day to register uh, for the, uh, the cost that it's at now, but after today, you can still register um, as well. And you could do so at gracecub.org, but we'll have a stack of these outside Uh, for your perusal. Can we say amen to that? Lots more testimonies to share, but I think I'm going to get into the word. Did you know the word is being preached all service? Like all service. And I pray that when you come in at 1030 after the, the, the worship team gets going right at that time that you hear God speaking to you through the songs that they sing that are all biblically based Certainly the transitions that Will provides and given the announcements are all about seeing people reconciled to God and to each other. And without a doubt, I'm glad Joseph kind of quantified the amount of time that we spend on how even giving of our tithes and offering is an act of worship. All of it is God speaking to us in ways I pray that help disciple us. We believe here in not just giving fish, but giving a pole and teaching how to fish. How do you go home and study the word for yourself? Uh, to be the the man or the woman he's called you to be. So this moment that I get, which is a a bit more expanded, is just adding to and continuing our time of of worship. If you've been with us, you know we've been in a series entitled Healthy Living. We kicked off at the beginning of the month with Dr. Sidney Hankerson, a psychiatrist out of Columbia University who kind of helped us wrap our brains around to the extent that we can, the intersection of faith and mental health. Week following, we talked, which was just last week, We extended this series, but really we shifted a bit in honoring our moms. Can we just give God praise again for our moms here? Um, And we talked about a mother of the Bible from whom we could all benefit and gain wisdom, but particularly for moms, it was a way to say thank you and to stay encouraged uh, in the work that you continue to do and how you serve. 
So today we're going to, quote, kind of get back on track, uh, if you will, with the healthy living theme, kind of picking up a little bit on where Dr. Hankerson left off that first week in talking about seeing clearly uh, and our life being one of praise and thanksgiving when we do see clearly. So if you would turn with me to the book of Psalm 13, Psalm chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. As you find that, uh, let's pray. Lord, help us today as we study your word. Open our eyes so that we might see all that is here in your law for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 6 reads this way, and I'm reading from the, the NIV. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice. My foes will rejoice when I fall. Verse 5 says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. The title of the message, as I referenced already, is Seeing Clearly. Uh, Seeing Clearly. How many Costco fans do I have here? This is relevant. I'm going somewhere. Costco. Oh, I shouldn't do that. They're Sam's Club. They're okay, too. But Costco, I made a trip there this past week. Um, and usually when I go, it's, it's it, well, anyways, it wasn't the usual trip of picking up pull-ups. And <laughs> that's the usual run. Or uh, flushable wipes or my tub of cashews, which I really enjoy. I don't know who needs a tub of cashews, but at Costco, you get a tub of it. It wasn't that this week. Is this week, though, it was to get some work done on my tires. And historically, when I've gone to Costco to get work done on my tires, they've been great. They've been prompt. They've been professional. They've been really good with pricing, and they've been educational. So they have treated me well. They've been faithful, if you will. They've helped me a ton. But this past week, that wasn't exactly my experience. I go to Costco. I did grab a tub of cashews. I thought I'd (laughs) snack on them while they were working on my tires. And I had an appointment. All of what I described about how they're good to me was when I didn't have an appointment. I walk in, and I just get... Everything just seems to work well. This time I had an appointment, so I thought for sure, 30 minutes, I'm in and I'm out. Except I wasn't, because they put a tag on my car that noted a walk-in versus a tag apparently of a different color that I learned that day that would have told all of the mechanics, he has an appointment, get to him right away. So I'm in the cafe area, snacking on my cashews, doing some work, and because I was getting work done, I was a bit more calm, but over two hours passed. So then I kind of realized, I've been getting work done. It's kind of all good. Things are happening. There's some productivity and some benefit, if you will, in the space of loss of time, if you will, of not being home or not picking up roots for dinner, because I think we were having one of our kids' teachers come over that night. I'm okay. I'm getting work done. But I get up after two hours, and I go over, and in the calmest counselor tone, say, "Uh, I had an appointment. Um... Can you help me understand what's going on with my car at this moment? To which I was told what I just said to you. Sorry, Mr. Harris, we had you noted as a walk-in. 
So then again, channeling every counseling class and training I have said, so I hear you saying (laughs) that you forgot about me. Yes, uh, uh, Mr. Harris, that's, that's what I'm saying. So you can imagine now, in fact, uh, if you don't, you can even call out, what's some of, what are some of the emotions that maybe you're even feeling right now? A little bit of rage. Yeah, we, we can be authentic in here. There's some rage. What else might have I been feeling? Huh? A little frustrating. I'm trying to warm you up to the call and response. What else? Disappointment. All of those emotions and probably more that are running through your brain were running through me. And I said, God, help me <laughs> because they've been good. They've been good, but in the midst of this loss, there's some frustration. In the midst of this feeling forgotten, there are a number of emotions running through me, and how do I hold that tension? And I would guess if you're in the room, whether you've been to Costco or not, you've probably felt forgotten at some point in time. Maybe even by God. You've experienced something in life, loss, whether physical, emotional, or some kind of crisis that you've experienced where in those moments you felt like God kind of put his earplugs in, turned his face from you, forgot about you. And the text that we've read this morning, I believe, does communicate a number of things. But in the time that we have today, we'll focus on the one, which is that proper perspective provokes praise. Proper perspective provokes praise. That even in the midst of what seems like being ignored or forgotten in the midst of loss or in the midst of grief and just a dimness in life, there's reason to sing and there's reason to praise. But it begins with our perspective. A little backdrop on the book of Psalms. This chapter we've read is the 13th of 150 Psalms, all of which are are, uh, referred to as the word tehillim, which is a Hebrew word meaning songs of praise. And so if you're picking up the book of Psalms and you're reading through it, all of them or some of them might express thanksgiving and praise. Others might be utilized to prophesy. In this particular case, scholars would suggest that this is a lament. Its words convey honest feelings of frustration, of abandonment by a believer of God whose prayer for deliverance seems to have gone unanswered. It's like God just put the walk-in tag on it and, and, and ignored it and forgot about it. I know none of you can identify with that in life. None of you have had a prayer that you feel like God just took a nap on, took a break, whatever, or he just didn't hear. None of us have experienced the silence of God. This psalm is written by a guy named David, a Jewish king known for his humility, known for his great faith and his skill as a songwriter. And the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. I always have to slow down on that. That's that's not a bad commendation, is it? Known as a man after God's own heart. And because he, in most of his life, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, even a great man of faith like David had some issues with sin, like you and me. And God allowed him to experience some of the earthly consequences of said sin. Though in the moment that David repented, he forgave him and continue to bless his reign as king. Uh, in addition to Costco, I also go to Zimburger a lot. Uh, maybe not a lot, but every now and then we hit up Zimburger. And I had a milkshake the other night that was so good. It was a cookies and cream milkshake. 
And it put me in this space. I won't ask you to call out those emotions because yeah, it, was, it was better than the frustrating moments from Costco. But it put me in a space with my kids. All of us are there such that I became like them. They were asking me for a taste. And I was like, no, <laughs> mine, <laughs> mine, mine. Uh, and, and had I repented, I didn't. I imagine God would have forgiven me for all of what I consumed in that, that I don't even want to read the list of what's in it because it's just too good. But what wasn't forgiving was that next day in Chris Collins' ACAC class, when I walked in, the first burpee I had to do, everything about that milkshake says, here's your consequence for that drink you took. God allows us, and I say a humorous sort of way of, of, of uh, pointing out the truth, that he'll allow us to experience, he's a just God, the consequences of our earthly, of our sins. He'll, he'll, will, he'll allow us to experience the earthly consequences of those sins, though he 1 John 1 and 9 says he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he forgave David of his sin and blessed his kingship such that even the folks after him, the kings that came behind him, they still measured their kingship by his. Great king, despite all of his flaws. So this man of faith, David here, not without sin, not perfect, opens up the chapter by expressing his perspective that God is absent from him, that God has has forgotten him and has somehow hidden his face from him. How long, Lord, he says, will you forget me forever? Will, how long will you hide your face from me? The same sentiment found in, if you want to look later, Lamentations 5 and 20 in the aftermath of essentially the pillaging of, of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. They too were saying, God, you, for, you just forgot about us. This psalmist, I imagine, was very aware also of one of uh, one of my favorite blessings in the Bible is found in Numbers 6 and 24, which says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Because he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? What an interesting statement for him to make, and perhaps you and I at times to make. Because on the one hand, he's acknowledging him as Lord. How long, Lord? And if you do a word study there, which I encourage you to do every time you read and study your Bible, you'll find if you use a Strong's Concordance and look up the Hebrew word for Lord, it'll go on to talk about him being the self-existent one or eternal one, the one who can't fail, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who parted the Red Sea. He is acknowledging him as such and then at the same time, saying that person who knows every hair on our head, the one whose thoughts of us, he says later in Psalm 139, are greater than the sands in the sea. How long, Lord, then forgot me? How might we embrace that perspective? Now, somewhat parenthetically, I'll say that he does, and it's his prerogative too, in his infinite wisdom, hide his face at times throughout Scripture. But to say that the one whose thoughts of him, again, greater than the sands on the seashore, now forgets about him, quite puzzling a perspective to embrace. How does he, and dare I say, how do we, get to a place where we're saying in one breath, Lord, and in another breath, everything that's antithetical to the very de definition of Lord? How does that happen? Kind of like me saying to my kids, <laughs> children... Are you ready to go to bed? 
Maybe your children are ready to go to bed. But it's like I ask and what do they say? No, can we have more ice cream? Can we watch more True? Can we do whatever it is? Children can't, no, it, it's, it's puzzling. How, Lord, and you've forgotten me. A couple of weeks ago, I referenced Dr. Hankerson and what he brought up for us in terms of that intersection of mental health and faith. And that certainly mental illness can disrupt chemical activity in our brain such that we find ourselves in dark places where we feel alone and maybe even forgotten by God. He also spoke to this notion uh, that doesn't change more than a notion. Um, Nothing, in fact, changes in terms of our reliance on God. But what might change, which I pray at Victory isn't a change, but more becomes common understanding, is that God might bring said healing and wholeness through incredible mental health professionals and perhaps even prescribe medicinal support as we walk through whatever level of severity of said mental illness. He might very well use somebody skilled in cognitive behavioral therapy to help dispute the irrational beliefs that are overwhelming you or I, such that the consequences of said irrational beliefs do not have to be our reality. God's healing might come through that vehicle. But even if we don't find ourselves on the pages of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, if we don't find our experiences there, if we live long enough, we can find ourselves at times struggling to align our belief in who God is and what we feel because of what we've been through. Read the book of Job for another witness to that kind of tension. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long do I have to suffer with this illness? How long do I have to pray for the healing of my kid? How long, God, am I going to have to deal with there being more month than money? How long you fill in the blank for which you are tempted to utter a similarly tense uh, phrase? How long will you hide your face from me? But then he goes on to say even further, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and day after day have sorrow in my heart? The English Standard Version of the Bible says, how long must I take counsel in my soul. How many know it's a scary thing when you're taking counsel with the malign thoughts that are in your soul, and that's all that you have to wrestle with, especially when they're maligned with what God has to say about you. But yet the lure of those thoughts at times, particularly when they're maligned, are such that no one will understand them, or if I share them with anyone, it'll be a burden to them, or maybe that I can get through them all on my own. And whether such thoughts are pathological or chronic, whether it's circumstantial or temporal, the consequences can be devastating. Which, as somewhat of a long parenthetical, I just want to highlight that at Victory, we have Victory groups in part for that reason. And that each of you, I would encourage to pursue one. This summer, we're going to do some short-term groups, and in the fall, we're going to kick off again, I pray, with twice, if not three times as many as we had this past spring. Not for them to be counseling spaces, let me make that clear, because we try to equip the leaders and hopefully mental health first aid will be a part of that training in the near future to recognize when more consistent uh, intervention is needed. So it's not you go there to get therapy, but you do go such that you're not with your thoughts alone and you have some support and accountability in the word of God to build yourself as well as that group up as the mature body of Christ that God has called us to be. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over 
me. Now, we're not quite sure here the enemy being referred to here. If it's death, if it's illness, if it's an enemy in battle. But suffice it to say, the brother feels defeated. And he feels like more defeat is at his doorstep if he does not find relief. Have you ever felt that way where you may not find, if you don't find immediate relief or some relief soon, you might just lose it? I'm a Giants fan, so I felt that way for a long time, if I might just say. Uh, If you're not a football fan, just trust me. We've been looking for some relief. Uh, Grateful for my Yankees right now, though they're top of the division. Anyhow, uh, I love, though, how David turns this corner and he models how to speak to God about panic and desolation. He then says in verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Ezra chapter 9 verse 8 says it this way, but now for a brief moment the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary and so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Again, not quite sure of of, uh, this referencing spiritual death, physical death, but there is a significant loss at stake. I'd argue that there will be both at stake here for David as he realizes that in order for him to have a chance, he needs God to open his eyes, to bring enlightenment, to bring a sparkle, if you will, back to his eyes that have now been dimmed by grief and by pain. And that sparkle of health and healing, might I say, can only come through Jesus Christ. And it's worth repeating that that healing, that sparkle, that enlightenment, that, that, that opening up of our eyes to bring proper perspective, that restoration in that part of your life in which you need it may very well come through people. Ephesians 4 and 16 says, from him, speaking of Christ, we are the whole body joined and held together by each supporting ligament. And as each part does its work, we are built up. So it might very well be the brother or sister to the next seat next to you who brings or helps to bring such healing. And so I would say to you, if that's the enlightenment that God brings to your mind, that maybe there's some more intervention that I need, a bit more professional that God might want to bring healing to you, don't ignore it. Don't be, <laughs> don't be like the guy, many of you probably heard the story, who was out in the ocean swimming and said, I'm praying, God, I know you're going to rescue me because he was getting tired and he was struggling and the helicopter came and he said, I'm good, I'm praying because God is going to rescue me. So the helicopter reluctantly leaves. Y'all heard the story. And then the rowboat comes and says, I can take you to shore. I'm good. I'm praying God is going to rescue me. So he reluctantly leaves. And then the motorboat comes and he says, I'm praying God is going to help me. And when he transitioned to heaven, (laughs) he said to God, why didn't you come and get me? I prayed to you. And he says, I sent you the helicopter, the rowboat and the motorboat. Don't be that guy. If God enlightens your eyes to the point where he shows you the direction to go in to get the support you need, go and do just that. Having said that, he's God and he might, if he so chooses, bring supernatural healing to you on the spot. And there's enough example in scripture that says to me that he can do that. And if he chooses, he can and will do that regardless of what you've been through God can do however, whenever, and whatever way he wants to do it. And I love how the psalmist models for us the way through such situations. He turns the corner yet again and says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. What happened between verse one and verse six? Literally, you can call out what you think happened between verse one and verse six. 
not paragraphs, but just a little something. What happened? What happened between verse 1 and 6? There's a little remembering going on. What else? You're thinking, I'm a counselor. I'm good with silence. What else might have happened between verse 1 and verse 6? Oh, Lord, I'm forgotten. You turned your face from me. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. I trust in your unfailing love. What's that? Trust. Trust. He remembered who he trusted in all along. He remembered somebody mentioned going along with that. Is it, though, that the storm in life was over? There's nothing here that suggests that, right? Nothing really says that even his, not just that the storm is over, but even that his protest, if you will, of the adverse positioning of God toward his life had changed. Nothing suggests that. And yet, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of trial, in the midst of loss, in the midst of illness to the point of death for him and in his grief, proper perspective on his part provoked praise. There's enough enlightenment there for him to recall God's faithfulness to him. And with the proper perspective, he then offers up praise. It's no matter the day. It's why I come up on stage every Sunday and will say what? Psalm 118 and 24, which says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Even the day we took our son to ER last week, even the day that we might have a loss, even the day because it's not in that that I'm having joy, certainly not. But God, you made this day. You woke me up. There's reason for me today. And because you are who you are and you have been good to me, it is the day that you've made. And I will rejoice in spite of and even in the midst of. And no, that doesn't mean that you minimize nor discard those things in your life that don't feel so good. You acknowledge the mountain, but you climb the mountain with faith. And a holy God who is with you every single step of the way. What's the challenge then to you and to me today in light of this text? It's to rejoice and praise God even when we don't feel like it. Preachers used to say when I grew up, when the money gets funny, when you toe up from the floor of all those, right? You go down the list of those things. If you haven't heard, we can talk later. I'll run you through all of them. (laughs) And it'll come on everyone's row at some point because we've all been there. But regardless of that, not that we're minimizing or forgetting it, don't hear that. It's that we are having a perspective of who our God still is in the midst of that. When your mind begins to play tricks on you and tell you things that don't align with what God has to say about you or your future, that bird does fly over your head, by the way, that metaphorical bird. Those thoughts that will come and with praise, with groups, with community, we can keep the bird from making or building a nest in whatever hair you do still have up there, right? That's, that's the idea. God, how in the midst of what I'm going through can I still give you a praise? And I imagine a group of people here in the, in the city of Charlottesville where predicament doesn't predict praise. Imagine a group of people. Let me just tell you, my prayer for us here and the large C church, no question, but, but the stewardship that God has blessed us with here is that we will be a people of praise, a people who don't mind opening up our mouths. There's enough scriptures in Psalm that talks about making a joyful noise and lifting our voice to the heavens. There's enough that says clapping your hands. There's enough that says moving your body a little bit to give the God who gave you such a movement to begin with. And I pray we become a people of praise, not just when we're on the mountaintop, but when we're in the valleys that are real. But no less real, amen, no less real than the God who is in those valleys with us. Amen.
that's, that's what I want you to not just imagine with me, but participate as we attend on Sunday mornings, as we serve on these various teams, as we connect in our victory groups, that a proper perspective would provoke praise no matter what. And if you need a reason, here's one. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. And we can say it every day, all day, every Sunday, and it doesn't not ever get old. I nor you are all that. At least I know I am not all that. And I needed a God, a perfect God, who would take on flesh, live the life I should have lived here on the earth, die the death I should have died in my place so that I'd have a chance at standing here with some semblance of victory to inspire you, hopefully, and those in my sphere of influence to live for him and to live for him wholeheartedly. He's worthy. And might I, might I remind us the vision of Victory Church, which is to see people reconciled to God and each other. That is not something that we can flip a coin, have a strategic planning meeting about and come up with an answer. How many have been in them? And we'll continue to go to them because I go to them too, because it's important. But Lord knows it's going to take the supernatural to come down as he conquered death and the grave to conquer what we have jacked up here in the earth and to see real, authentic reconciliation, not just among the racial differences, though that is pretty particular and on my heart, but also to the other spaces that are occupied by us in our community called Charlottesville. And when there's a praise coming up in the midst of what should be a moment of, God, you forgot me. God, you turned your face from me. You know what it does? It makes him recognizable to your brother, to your sister, to your nephew, to your niece who says, I don't believe in God, but, yo, something's up with you. Like, how in the world is there still a praise on your lips? Because I know where you were. I know what happened. I know. I, I remember you when. Y'all heard Sidney when he came up here and he said, I'm just happy to call him Pastor Paul. And started laughing. <laughs> right? When somebody can say, I remember. Bro, God must be good because you got a praise on your lips. What is going on? <laughs> That's the prayer in this house that we would come become a people of praise, that proper perspective would provoke praise in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for